parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorites. For many of us, this parable is uh, about uh, a person, a man, a son. It's about someone who does everything wrong and yet is forgiven. Other times when we read it, it's about a son who does everything right and yet gets nothing. But I think this is mostly about a father, a Palestinian Jew, who does everything wrong according to the customs of the day, and yet does everything right in the eyes of God. It is hard to express how scandalous this parable likely seemed to those gathered around Jesus. In 2022, our temptation is to read this as an abstract fairy tale, one which promises forgiveness for the sinners, transformation for the least likely, and vindication for the proud. It is about the unconditional love of parents for their children, and it's an affront to the fairness that we think govern our interactions. All of this is true. But I want to ground this sermon in how it would have been heard by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the followers of Jesus at the same time of its telling, because I think it shifts the moral weight away from the sons and into the center, into the father. So about this father. First, a father was not to bequeath his inheritance to his children before his death. To do so would be an intentional self-disrespecting act. For both of his sons to even ask for their inheritance and to receive their inheritance before their father has died demonstrated an incredible disrespect for their father and for their family. And then, of course, the younger son offends even further. His inheritance was in the form of land, and in order to get money to squander, he likely sold it for a profit. Now, this was doubly shameful because the land is, in many ways, a symbol of Israel's chosenness by God. We heard about this in Joshua today. For the land, uh, about a people, they're on the brink of entering a place that's flowing with milk and honey, land that God has promised them during all of their suffering. The promised land, this is land that grounds the Jewish identity inside the Roman Empire, but it was sold without a thought. Particularly pious neighbors of this family would have been scandalized to the point of ostracizing this father for his son's actions. Then the younger son goes and works for Gentiles, tending pigs. Pigs are not kosher, as Moses clearly dictated in the law. So to debase himself to live among swine is like he is taking his faith and his identity as a Jew, a chosen person of God, and shunning it forever, rubbing it in the dirt. He now has shamed himself in addition to shaming his family. At this point, a return to his father's house would be outrageous. And so when these self-important neighbors hear that the man is throwing a banquet for his son, surely they would have assumed it was for the elder son. But again, the father defied cultural expectations and threw a banquet for a person who everyone else thought to be a disgrace. The elder son's anger appears justifiable to us, at least to me. But his behavior towards his father is equally scandalous. He yells at his father, he challenges him, he exhibits pride and self-righteousness. 
And his father would have every reason to be offended or disrespected. Don't speak to me like that. But instead, what does he do? He begs him, pleads with him. Please come in. Come join us. Come be with us. The father again debases himself by begging his own son to come to his table. Because his own pride didn't matter. This story is about a father who does everything wrong. About God who does everything wrong in order to show us what is right. We might think that the Pharisees and the culture of the time was blind to the truth that Jesus had to tell, but we would be wrong to think that. Mostly because I think we are similarly challenged by a story that completely transforms what it means to be fair. I would like to assert that abundance is the key to this parable, as opposed to fairness. Both of those brothers fear that there is not enough. One says, I've messed up so much that my father will never love me as a son again. The other says, I've done everything for my father, but he treats my younger brother better than me even though I deserve it more. We have all been in both places. We sin through turning our backs on our families, selling out or abandoning those who love us. We also sin through bitter self-righteousness, pride, stubbornness, and an unwillingness to forgive. But the father of these sons does not care, even though he should. He should care. He would have every reason to look at both of his sons and think, they have failed me, but he doesn't. He looks at one son and says, stop. I finally found you. And he looks at the other and says, stop. Of course I love you. Please come eat. Enough. Stop. Just because I love your brother this much doesn't mean I don't love you equally. There's enough for both. The parable of the prodigal son is disorienting. The ways in which we think about fairness and deserving are challenged by Jesus, which is both offensive and comforting. It shows us who we are, which isn't always fun to look at. But what it does is it shows us what is possible in this world God created. Parables are rooted in what's real. This parable shows us who God is, but it reflects back to us a way of living that is grounded in the same generosity that the Father showed to his sons and to his neighbors. The Father is inviting us into this dinner. Both brothers implored to come in. All of us are invited similarly. The power of this parable for me has always resided in the idea that nothing I ever did or didn't do would be beyond the love of God, regardless of which son I identified more with at any given moment. But as I think beyond myself and my own fears of being unloved, this parable is more even than that. It is not just calling us back to God. It is not just God welcoming us back home. It is God also inviting us into a way of living that builds bigger tables, that pulls up more chairs and says, come and eat. 
We can be like this. This father shows us that such a backwards, upside-down version of fairness can actually exist in our world. We like to think that our standards are just the way things are, but they're not. It is possible to live in this spirit of generosity even if your neighbors look at you like you're crazy. But they can judge all they want because there's room for them too. There's room for you, there's room for me, there's room for every person who feels called to this place, to this church, to this community. It's easy to think there isn't enough room for everyone, but there is. It may seem foolish, but it isn't. We know that it isn't. It isn't foolish because God is telling us that there is always room. And we've always found ourselves here. The parable of the prodigal son not only reminds us that we are loved beyond measure, but it expands and engages our imagination so that we can live in a new way. There is nothing foolish about accepting God's invitation into an absolutely endless feast. We have all been lost, and now we are found. Thanks be to God.